welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast about 20th and 19th century women writers. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we are going back to Wives and Daughters. This is the second part um, of a two-part episode, so we are going to fly through the recap of chapters 31 through 60. Then we are going to talk Elizabeth Gaskell and your comments. Okay. Shall we do it? Yeah, we're going straight in. We're going to go straight, straight in. in. I um, just like, you know, I, I wrote part of this recap in the middle of the night. So I just want to disclaimer that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I just also Lauren wrote this. Uh, <laughs> Good. Um, now that that's off my chest and I don't need to have the comments aimed at me when we get stuff wrong. Right, right. Aim them at Lauren. Good call. So um this week we're gonna kick everything off with Osborne's secret baby. Oh Ooh. my gosh. Woo, secret Love a baby. Secret time. baby. Whipping straight on. Cynthia's secret engagement to Mr. Preston. This is what I was saying last week. This is the set of chapters where everything starts happening and the delicious secrets come out. Secret baby, secret engagement. Uh, next secret, Roger proposes to Cynthia and Cynthia's like, please don't tell anyone about our engagement. And he's like, oh, you don't have to consider yourself engaged. And then Cynthia's like, no, I have to. This is an engagement. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous, that whole situation. So then Roger leaves for Africa. Mr. Gibson discovers Mrs. Gibson's schemes about Roger and Osborne. And it's revealed that Mrs. Gibson knows that Roger, uh, that Osborne is ill and has specifically been inviting Roger over and pushing Cynthia towards him so she's got like a little secret scheme going on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then Mr Cox comes back and he's all like ready actually I quite like this about Mr Cox because he goes away Mr Gibson said to him in, in the first couple of chapters like off you go you can come back in like a couple of years and propose to her then if you still want to right if you're yeah. if that's still where your head's at so Mr Cox comes back and he's like yeah I'm gonna propose to Molly and then he's like hello big dollop <laughs> when Cynthia walks in and then immediately is just like great I love her very angry I'm Mr. gonna propose <laughs> oh I was not bothered I was like obviously oh, I, I was pissed off at him I was like goodbye sir goodbye I really liked the fact as well so Molly is like not super receptive to his advances and yeah. a big part of that is one Mr Cox doesn't know that Molly doesn't know about his secret letter mm-hmm so he That's comes true. back really familiar. He's like holding her hand. He's being like way over the top. And then Mrs. Gibson, who's feeling bad for like her mischief with Roger and Cynthia and is trying to get a match for Molly, which she thinks will make it all all right, is like, this Mr. Pop, uh, Mr. Cox is a great guy. What a catch. You should like go there. And so Molly is just like repulsed completely mm -hmm. by both of them. And then in turn, he's like, well, this Molly is like such a cold fish, whereas Cynthia over here. So it's just like... Well, Cynthia is also trying to like overcompensate too for Molly's yeah. coldness. And so it is just like a perfect storm of like misunderstanding. But I still was it's like, Mr. Cox, get, get out of here. I just like, I really defy you to name any other author who does that so well. I know. The I, multiple I points yeah. of view in one situation and how it just builds on each other. Like... I just love it so much about Elizabeth Gaskell. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that scene is just really impressive. Um, so then Cynthia leaves for a little party time in London. She, I think she goes to look after sickly Helen, her cousin. Mm -hmm. And then there's loads of discussion like, why are you going to go to parties when like Roger is away? And she's like, well, you know, Mrs. Gibson's like, she's <laughs> got to go to a party. She's been invited. Um, 
Osborne just like lies down on the ground and dies. Yeah. Horrible. RIP. Gives up. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynthia then has Molly do all of her dirty deeds and breaks off her engagement with Mr. Preston, which I read the whole time with like Mission Impossible music in my head. So <laughs> Molly's like sneaking around, delivering letters, arranging to see Mr. Preston, giving Mr. Preston Cynthia's money because she owes him like all of. Oh, that's the thing that we missed off. Cynthia reveals everything that happened with Mr. Preston. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Preston has groomed her since she was 16. He lent her money. He. She agrees to um, marry him and writes him love letters because she was a child and she thought Mm -hmm. she loved him, which he then keeps to bribe her. And he gets really mad when he discovers that she's married to someone, uh, engaged to someone else. And so there's just this like awful bit where Molly's kind of sneaking around and as she's doing it, you can just tell that everyone is slowly going to start gossiping about her and gossiping about her. Um, And then guess what happens? everyone in Hollingford is like Molly is a tramp which is for all you Cynthia fans I'm sorry but one of the one of my sticking points on Cynthia's lack of character yeah absolutely although I will counterpoint she did give him back his money with interest right but that was nice idea (laughs) yeah she did like Cynthia is not a wholly bad person no she's not you can criticize her without it being that you're like condemning a woman and I just feel like totally it's like the Cynthia scenario doesn't have to be, I hate Cynthia and I love Cynthia. I say right. I sit in the middle. I'm in the Cynthia Grey area, right? You're in the Gaspel Storm. That I That's love a Gaspel Storm. Her. That's what she does, right? She yeah. she doesn't, you know, you, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to talk about Cynthia. Yeah, so that was down. hard. That that was a hard bit. And then my gal, Lady, uh, Lady Harriet, she swoops in because, mm-hmm. uh, in Lauren's words, uh, she knows that shit ain't right. She does immediately. She's like, that... That doesn't sound like the Molly I know. And she makes a point of going all over town with Molly so that like people can't keep calling her a hoe if this wealthy lady that everyone likes and looks up to has kind of taken her on, right? Right. Because why would Lady Harriet hang out with someone who's in disrepute? So that kind of does a lot to fix that. And then she just calls Mr. Preston out. She's like, oh, hey, Mr. Preston, are you engaged to Molly? He's like, no. She's like, great. Well, then maybe you should go and say something to all of the people in town who think you are. Like, take some responsibility for your bullshit. Yeah. Um, So then Cynthia breaks it off with Roger because the secret engagement becomes announced and known. Yeah. Was that why? Oh, it's like a bunch of stuff, right? And then doesn't she say like, oh, I want to be, is this later? I want to be a governess in Russia. That whole so, thing I mean, that's, happens. She's like, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. I think, but I think it's because it's revealed that Mr. Preston was engaged to her, right? Yes, and but she's already it. met her, her man too, right? Yeah, her new guy. Yeah. yeah, she's already met Mr. Henderson. So I think she's like, mm, well, you know. Well, yeah, because she met him. Oh, she comes back to, oh, hold on, I'm getting, it doesn't matter. Listen, I've, you heard it here first, folks. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh please don't stop listening to the show it does matter i just the notes um so then amy french wife and the little babby they turn up at hamley hall mm-hmm. and then she drops down she doesn't die though they just put her on a bed yeah doesn't speak a lot of english no what do you what are you meant to do and uh my lad the squire is just giving pipes and beer to the kid he's like oh yeah let's hang out it's great. That has a good old great. Yeah. Love this guy. Um, this is the bit you mentioned, Lauren. Cynthia decides to marry some lawyer she met in London. Mm-hmm. Good recap. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> to the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and then Roger returns from Africa for a spell. Uh, mm -hmm. he, Lauren, he returns from Africa because his brother died. Yeah, for a spell. For, for a spell. Um, oh, that just made it sound like he was on a jaunt. So Roger comes <laughs> back. He wants to try and get everything sorted out. And he agrees that he'll go home, get everything in order. And then he has to go back and like finish his contract. Mm -hmm. um, and then while he's there, there's this like big event at the towers. And it's like, we slowly realized through these chapters. One, he's like kind of famous and is this yeah. hunky explorer, intelligent, scientific Indiana Jones kind of with, without Nazis because they don't exist yet. Right. Um, guy with a beard mm -hmm. um and so every, like he's super interesting it's like that bit when john thornton goes to london at the dinner party and everyone wants to know what he says about machines definitely and manufacturing it's like that moment got a note about um, that later good good uh so and then molly who um got she got really ill yeah while at the ham lees yes um she she has been really like home. was going too far taking care of the squire just like taking yeah care she of, was like, too many Osborne's people. death she takes yeah. way too much care of the squire and amy and the baby and takes it all on um and then she ends up going home and is just like totally worn out exhausted mm -hmm. like very very sick and then when everyone goes to london for cynthia's marriage to the lawyer uh, she goes to stay at the Towers, which is when she sees Roger again properly in kind of like a social setting. It's also when mm -hmm. Roger realizes that he does have the hots for her. Yeah. And then he's like, you should come and stay with us at Hamley Hall. My dad's pretty pissed at you for not coming here to recover. You went to the Towers and he's like, oh, I just do as I'm told. Um, and then, <laughs> so she goes to Hamley Hall. It's hella awkward. Really awkward. Yeah, because yeah. She's feeling awkward because um, she overhears someone saying like, oh, Mrs. Gibson's pretty smart, sending her off to the towers and then sending her off to Hamley Hall to go and get yeah. her married to the guy whose brother just died. <laughs> like, sensible, smart move. Mm -hmm. So she's like kind of stilted and is um, not herself around him. And he kind of can't, can't break through it. And he's at this point that she's at Hamley, realizes that he is interested in her, but doesn't want to like, make it more awkward so everything he does to try and show his affection he's doing in a really roundabout way by saying like oh amy suggested this but really it was his idea yeah and that flower uh, and then, bit at the end yeah the flower bit oh i always put that quote in and i didn't um so uh then oh poor babby the little babby osborne gets scarlet fever and everyone's mm -hmm. really scared but the squire who hated the French wife for a really long time wanted to send her away. It's like they unite, they bond over the sick bed of the child mm -hmm. and become friends. Um, and then Molly is kind of sent home and Roger is not allowed to see her. He's not allowed to visit the house because Molly's never had scarlet fever. But then he has to go back to Africa. Yeah. And then the book ends. The book, the book ends, guys. She sees him out the window. Bye, Roger. Yeah. See you later. And then, you know, I... she sits down and listens to Mrs. Gibson. I feel like I could have... Uh, I, I just wish I hadn't known the book was going to end. I wish I'd felt that. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm glad yeah. I didn't have that Valette moment. But now I'm like, I wish I'd had that Valette moment. It is really poignant when you move from chapter um, 60 to what would have yeah, been 61, the editor's note where they're like, where he's like, really torn up about the loss of mrs gaskell he's like yeah Look, there's this 
Elizabeth died. She was a wonderful woman. Here are her notes for the last chapter. This is a great loss. Yeah, there's this quote in it. Um, There is not so much to regret then so far as this novel is concerned. Indeed, the regrets of those who knew her are less for the loss of a novelist than of the woman, one of the kindest and wisest of her time. Yeah. I was choked up. I was too. Wow. What a great... It actually kind of is a great ending, I have to say. I kind of like it. Because it becomes also about the woman as well, about the writer. Yeah, it's a really interesting merging of like author and work and intention Mm -hmm. and like legacy. And also, thank God we had those notes, right? Yeah. Because I really couldn't tell if Molly and Roger were going to be together by the end, you know? (laughs) I know. Um, So guys, That was sarcasm. I could tell. They will end up together. Um, He's going to come back from his voyage. He's going to propose to Molly. She's going to say yes. They're going to move to London. He's going to become a famous university professor. It sounds great. Yeah, it sounds great. I actually, you know, we've been talking a lot about the ending, but I want to just take it back just a a little bit um, to that last exchange between Mr. Gibson and Mrs. Gibson, Mm -hmm. because I just felt like it was everything. Like, uh, (laughs) too much with these two. It's such a pity, she said, that I was born when I was. I should so have liked to belong to this generation. That's sometimes my own feeling, he said. So then he goes on to say that, you know, there's so many new things happening in the scientific world and like medical studies. Like, oh, I wish I could could live to see these, you know, further advancements, you know, within science. Um, That'd be great. You know, if I was 20 or 30 years younger, just to see just to see where this generation's going, where Mm -hmm. is this world going? And she's like, um... He should read yeah. North and South. <laughs> he should read North and South. He should. Um, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I was definitely thinking that, but like also not. Because <laughs> she says, without vanity, you know, I believe I was as pretty as Cynthia was. And I just would have liked to have been like a pretty young woman in this time instead of a pretty young woman in my time. Yeah, because she can like get the servants, a little country, um, Sorry, she lives in like a little country town with only three servants. And then she's like comparing what she has yes. to what Cynthia is going to get. But like, Claire, that's not like a generational thing. No, She just married better than you. <laughs> she just married better than you. And she's just a slightly but, better person than you are. And her closing fact. The fact is, in this generation, there are so many more rich young men than there were when I was a girl. Yeah, like that's where she's going yeah. <laughs> with this whole thing. And Mr. Gibson's just like, one thing I did want to talk about a little bit last episode, but it just I'm glad that we can talk about it now that we know the whole book. Darwin and Gaskell, because we are doing a ton of research right now for season three. I've been like heavily doing uh, Mary Shelley research right now and reading around Victorians and science and religion. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I was reading this book, all I could think about was just science and Darwin. Okay, so I'm going to tell you more about Charles Darwin. Just a little bit, guys. It's not a Darwin episode. So um, Darwin was just one year older than Elizabeth, and he's a distant cousin on her mom's side. So he's also a Unitarian. All those Unitarians, you know, they know each other. There were so many Unitarians. There were so many. Um, Just a quick refresher on Darwin, if you can't remember quite who he was, because God knows I had to look it up, too. I was like, yeah, I remember something from like you know, eighth grade biology class. 
So yeah, he's a naturalist, a biologist, and a geologist. He became famous after he published his journal from his five-year journey on the HMS Beagle, right around the time, like, I think he was in again his late 20s. So he's, you know, on track with Roger. Okay. Um, you probably all learned about him in biology class due to his 1859 book, which was Origin of the Species. So, yes. Which is about monkeys. It's about monkeys. Yes. Evolutionary biology. So um, Elizabeth followed his career very, very closely. um, And she definitely modeled Roger off of him. So I thought it was sort of like a unspoken influence. um, But it's actually in her wives and daughters notes to the publisher. And in like one of the notes, she was just like, yeah, this is what Roger's like. He's kind of like this guy who's dating my daughter. And then he's also like Charles Darwin. And uh, his career path is going to follow Darwin's career path. Okay. So, yeah, it's actually in the notes. Um, But I think, like, while reading this book, and then tell me if you felt this way as well, that, like, Darwin is not just an influence over Roger, but just, like, the style of writing. Because I just felt like this narrator was sort of an observer, like a scientist, like the way that Darwin was when he was out on his voyages, you know? Ginny Uglo, in her um, Gaskell bio actually has a really great paragraph um, on this. Like her naturalist hero, Roger Hamley, by focusing on the individual specimen, Gaskell analyzes general patterns without surrendering complexity. She detects slow patterns of growth and change invisible to the casual eye, notes how people relate to their environment and what protective coloring they adopt, and shapes her observations into a framework of development. I just have one more Darwin note. And it's a really sweet note. So I was um, messing around on the internet and I found this link. I'm going to open it now. You guys can't see it. So it kind of sucks, but I'll put it on our social media. Grolier Club. Okay, so I think this is from sort of like, I don't know. What is this from? So I found these exhibition notes for these rare books. And one, are you opening it too? Yeah. It's really cool. So this is an 1880 copy of um, Wives and Daughters, first printing. And there's an inscription there. And it's the um, Darwin family copy. And um, sort of the exhibition uh, note is, in the words of Charles Darwin's great-great-grandson, Randall Keyes, or Keynes, This book needed a very good home. Gaskell was close to the Darwins and modeled the young hero after Charles. A note on the pace down by Margaret Keynes reads, this book was a great favorite of Charles Darwin's and the last book to be read aloud to him. So this was the last book that he read on his deathbed, guys. That was amazing. That's such a good, really, really, really lovely. And um, the family still has the book and they, they like pass it down. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into some favorite quotes, listener comments, and um, go into a bit more detail on the chapters. So on the topic of uh, Molly and Roger, this, the last couple of weeks, I think it's been really interesting, uh, the discussions that we've had about whether or not Molly knows she loves Roger, mm-hmm. um, the family feelings that she still holds to him, and like the way she kind of is inserting herself repeatedly into his and Cynthia's relationship. Yeah like just over and over again. So I pulled out a couple of quotes about that. And this one I underlined and just with question marks around it, because I was like, what mood are we trying to convey? Like, I don't think I've ever 
felt this. It felt very alien. Mm -hmm. Um, She would have been willing to cut off her right hand if need were to forward his attachment to Cynthia and the self-sacrifice would have added a strange zest to a happy crisis. I know. I underline that one as well. (laughs) I think it's it's the second half of the sentence. The (laughs) self-sacrifice would have added a strange zest to a happy crisis. If anyone's got any thoughts. I mean, wow. Um, I was just like, is she in that much of a denial? Um, what well, is going I, on with this girl? I was wondering if, like, one, what's the happy crisis? Like, I didn't get it. Two, mm-hmm. the strange zest. Is it almost that, like, getting pleasure from knowing that you're being, like, self-sacrifice, like, you're doing this thing yeah. and no one knows how good you are? Like, I just, I don't, yeah, I was just like, Molly, what, in English, what do you mean? I, um, well, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I actually, I don't know if you want to finish reading some of these quotes because there's something I've been working through with this. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's another great bit later on. Oh, I I loved it so much. Um, she's thinking about, she's thinking about Cynthia and she's thinking about Roger and she just goes, and yet she did not love him. No, she did not love him. Molly knew Cynthia did not love him. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just like, just convinced, like, oh, just thinking about it and thinking about it. There's so much like amazing repetition in this book, yeah. which is how you think. Like, it's how we process thoughts. And you're just like that. Oh, it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. So, oh, just, yeah, really good. Um, A little bit more on her thinking that she's his sister. Um, I am his sister. She would say to herself, that old bond is not done away with, though he is too much absorbed by Cynthia to speak about it just now. His mother called me Fanny. It was almost like an adoption. I must wait and watch and see if I can do anything for my brother. So. Hmm. Hmm. Molly, I, we talk a lot about her being sort of like this good character, right? You get, like get, You've got these two sisters, like two Mm -hmm. halves of the same coin, right? You got the good sister and the bad sister, like just to put it like. Yeah, in simple terms. In simple terms. Yeah. Um, Would it change our feelings about Molly if we knew that she was in love with Roger and that she was jealous of Cynthia? Would that like change how we feel about her? Would we start to go, oh. No, because that's exactly that's exactly what's happening in the book. Yeah, I know, but if, if it was plain, do you think it would change I, people's opinions? I do think it is plain. Personally. If she said it, if she recognizes it, if she recognizes the fact that she is in love with Roger and that she is jealous, um attaching that jealous, that bad quality to, to Molly. inserting herself into their relationship. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what I was trying. I, that's what I was really wondering. Like while I was reading this book, I'm like, is Gaskell afraid to say it? Because you have, like yeah. I said, the good sister, the bad sister. Um, that's it. Do you know what I was thinking of though? That's really similar. Um, when when people discuss sense and sensibility, there's this like uh, I think it was Helena Kelly that said it in her book. There's this tendency to agree with Eleanor because the book is more from Eleanor's point of view than it is from Marianne's. And so mm-hmm. you're going with this is the main character. So they are right and the other person is wrong, which right. is exactly what happens if your friend tells you about an argument that they've had. You get their side of the story and you don't, although you will get what the other person said, you don't get the nuance of it. Right. Now, Molly is the heroine. And although we do get some insights into Cynthia, it's through dialogue. Mm hmm. 
And so I I was wondering, like, there's a few Cynthia quotes coming up and they're all from Molly's point of view. And I think people have said that Molly doesn't judge Cynthia. And I think she does. But it's it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Like, it's, yeah, it's very subtle. Yeah. So you're right. I think like. I, I that think maybe, that... it would have been interesting if we had Cynthia being like, oh, look, Molly's pretending she's not interested in the guy I'm engaged to <laughs> again. Right. Look at her go. Yeah. No, right. you're right. Also, another thing that I was thinking about, too, is that when Gaskell was writing this, like she wrote in some of her notes that um, Marianne is quite the inspiration for both Cynthia and Molly. She says, mm-hmm. like, it's just together they make the whole Mar- Marianne. Marianne Dashwood. Oh, sorry. Marianne, Marianne, her daughter. Oh, OK. That's fine. Sorry. I was just getting yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah. OK. So I just was like, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, Molly see this is being definitely a coded good. And you don't right. have a lot of opportunities for her to be considered like wrong in any way, right. which is one of which is I think one of the reasons there are so many strong parallels between her and Fanny Price, right? Because mm-hmm. again, you yes. have a character who is coded good, who is right, They're right, right, technically right a lot of the time, um, and Molly does have all of these amazingly strong qualities, but we don't really. We don't get like the inner point of view of someone on the opposite side of her kind of balancing it. Yeah, it just reminded me too of Mags in North and South. Like it takes Margaret so long to like sort of like reveal her feelings mm-hmm. about Thornton that I'm just like, what's the hang up here? Is it Victorian like prudishness? Like we can't yeah. like show feelings of desire. And, you know, is that what we're doing here? Because what's funny is like, I've seen this reviewed in many places as a woman's romance novel. And I, don't, I don't think this is any more a um, woman's romance novel than Great Expectations is a romance novel because no. Pip loves that chick, whatever, Eliza. What's her name? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure on this show yeah. I've said, I'm a great fan of X. I'm a big fan. And I've of said many times, I do not care for Dickens. <laughs> I know. But I'm yes. just saying, as but a yeah. male example, who it <laughs> totally. would be said about, right? Like there is right. Uh, it's just because, yeah, it's just because it has a relationship in the um, in the book. But I don't think that the romance is central to the theme. I think it's a coming of age story. Coming of age stories know. are really important if they're about men. They're not important if they're about women, right? It's called Wives and Daughters. Like the title is like, hey, this is about female relationships, right? <laughs> It is about relationships. It's not about this romance. If it were about this romance, then it would be about these two people sort of recognizing their feelings and struggling with their feelings. And then like how that all comes together at the end. It's not. It's really like suddenly they're married in London at the end. (laughs) This is off kilter. But I, I actually remember like a lot of people saying really similar things about this when Brave came out. The... Pixar mm. film because mm-hmm. it was sold to you as this like epic fantasy fairy tale adventure and then but at its core it's a film about uh it's a coming of age story about a girl who yeah. is um pushing back against her mother's traditional values that she doesn't like want to take right. on mm-hmm. and like it's that relationship and it's the relationship with her mum and like that's how like that that's like the big plot point that's like what the film builds up to is that right. those two falling up uh falling out and then reconciling um but that's not you can't sell that that doesn't sell and so why right. daughters as uh for the same reason sell it as a romance novel and it will you can move copies but sell it as yeah. a dissection of class or relationships between like who cares about relationships between mothers and daughters right 
I know. So yeah, I. So it's just like for me, I'm like, okay, it's it's hard with this romance. I can I barely think of it in romantic terms because I'm just like, this is like the story of Molly's coming of age. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship between Molly and Roger is a bit it's a bit tough for me. And I'm also not sure where I, I land on it. Like if I'm glad that they get together at the end or if I'm. I, I don't know, like I think I, I have to look, I look at it with modern eyes because like looking at the story now as a 35 year old woman too you're just like yeah. molly you're so young and you know you've grown so much and just like don't wait for roger to come back from africa like just move on with your life like part of me is just like looking at it from that perspective and then, i feel i feel like roger realizing he loves her comes too little too late like i've got a yes. note here we never have like this definitive moment where molly is like oh now i will admit that i love him that Mm-hmm. it's like it's just it's just there and denied and then suddenly the tone has changed from denial to it not like no even then like right up until the end of the book she's still like now we're friends again but yeah that's, i mean she's protecting I, her heart but like that's not satisfying right i feel like i somewhere i may have written down the last line that she um or highlighted the last line that she it was just like yeah oh great our friendship is preserved it was yeah, something like exactly. that it's, it's very it's dead unsexy but and like that is that is molly's self-preservation right but on the flip side we do get roger's moment where he realizes and it happens at the towers so molly walks into the room in the evening um she's regained some of her this is after her period of illness she's been at the towers kind of recuperating and lady harriet has just been giving her everything she needs to get well so she's looking very well she's beautiful and also cynthia is not there to steal the limelight for a change Right. Um, and it says Roger hardly recognized her, although he acknowledged her identity. He began to feel the admiring deference most young men experience when conversing with a pretty girl, a sort of desire to obtain her good opinion in a manner very different to his old familiar friendliness. I mean, and, like, Roger, like Osborne was saying that. Yeah. And so you've got these two characters where people are like, hey, you like this person? And they're like, no, I do. Yeah. I know. And then the book ends. Yeah. I was just like, oh, gosh, feels so unfulfilled. I don't know if that's a Victorian thing. Is that a Victorian writing thing, guys? I just wish Gaskell had the opportunity to live today and write sexy books. She would probably be a TV writer, though. She'd write sexy TV. Yeah, definitely. Like high stakes drama. Mm-hmm. I was more interested in Cynthia and Mr. Preston. I didn't really care about Roger and Roger and Molly because. It's a more interesting relationship. Yeah. But, you know, Mansfield Park, when you do that read along, I also care way more about Fanny and Mr. Crawford than I do about Fanny and Edmund. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just like Roger is too deserving. He's like too obviously yeah. good. Like that's... Well, both of them are too obviously good and they're obviously going to get together. Like it's And also, little... I don't want to read a book where I know what's happening at the beginning. So like, thankfully, yeah. this book is about way more than this love story because otherwise mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a great read. And I remember that's what Sam said when we did the North and South watch along. He was like, oh, there's all of these other storylines that aren't romance. Yeah. But it's like, that's the one thread that gets plucked out and put on the cover. Right. Totally. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, we also, we did get a couple of comments. I think, no, I think we got one comment um, just about how uh, Molly and Roger are of the same class. So just to specify again, that's like one of the main clashes in the book, right? Is that they aren't. Right. Roger is from this old family with money. 
Molly is the daughter of a well-respected but doctor of no Mm -hmm. no great title so this is social mobility on Molly's part kind of rising up and doing better than she potentially should have and Roger marrying down which was like the one thing that his dad said don't you dare marry down right both of his sons do we are gonna we are gonna uh talk about the adaptation in like two seconds but Mm -hmm. there's just like this one random Molly quote that I just I really liked um and it's about like Uh, people gossiping or saying like oh a little birdie told me and Molly's Mm -hmm. reaction is Molly knew that little bird from her childhood and had always hated it and longed to wring its neck yes that was a great quote such a delightfully vicious line yes perfect yeah I really liked it fuck you and your bird (laughs) fuck you and your bird yeah the adaptation I don't have very many notes on this, but I do have a, quite a few comments from our uh, Twitter listeners. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. All right. Um, Hannah, I, you know, this will be interesting because I feel like you're in the minority here. Yeah, I didn't like it. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. I don't I think mean, I'll watch it again. Overwhelming response. Absolutely loved it. A definite favorite, says Elizabeth. Wrong. Allegra. It's a great adaptation indeed. Michael Not Gambon true. is just perfect. And Justine Waddle does such a great job with Molly. I love Tom Hollander what? so much. Molly. Yep. <laughs> Hannah, everyone loves this adaptation. Uh, this is going to be Hannah just, just cage fighting all of our listeners. Uh, they're all coming in with great, great comments. Um, although Lori does say, I love and cringe at the last scene of this adaptation. Which we'll talk about the ending of the adaptation in a minute. Um, Andrea Marshall, love it. The acting is superb. Is it? People love it. It's fine. H- I Helen really says, have, I really great adaptation. Justine Waddle is so good. Who um, is that, Molly? It, yeah, it's tricky. She was it's terrible. A tricky... She was so bad. <laughs> it's a tricky character to play as Molly is so good and worthy that she could easily be boring, but she's really compelling in the role. I have to say she that's true. Wow. Yeah, wow. It is true. She was boring. <laughs> people overall, I loved it, said Ruth. I mean, people love oh. it. You are in the minority, my dear. Well, listen. Well, I was well, going to make okay, notes while I watched ahead. it, but then I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> Wow! So I actually had to do other stuff while it was on. Um, oh I thought like some of the casting was really good. I loved okay. the Squire. I loved the Squire Hamley. Tom Hollander mm-hmm. as Osborne was a pleasant surprise because when he walked in, yeah. I was just like, "Are you kidding?" Me? I started laughing, even though you guys know I love Tom Hollander with my whole heart, and I was like, "I don't know if this is gonna work," but he. I is, was sold by the end. Delightful. Oh, that bit. That bit when he kisses Molly's hand when she's leaving. I really like the two brothers saying goodbye and uh, Osborne is like more performative. And I like, I, I really mm-hmm. bought that. That was really good. Um, He's great. At, what? So no one has left a comment saying, sorry, I'm not meant to swear. Okay. But I feel very strongly about this. What the fuck is going on with Lady Harriet's hair? <laughs> her hair? <laughs> is it a hat? What is the, that on her hair? The last scene, right? Awful. The last scene is when I noticed it. Was there any other, there, what was Terrible. happening at the last just scene? Got, like, drapery on it most of the time hiding it so i guess they were like this is the wig we've run out of time to actually do something like reasonable it was just wild it was such a it looked like a riding helmet but can i say i love rosamund pike and i don't know if you guys have ever like listened to an interview with rosamund pike just 
as as herself, not in character, but her voice is so grand. She is so grand. I hope she narrates the story of my life. Here's my thing with Gaskell and Gaskell adaptations, right? Is mm-hmm. that this fight as a period drama, fine. If you want to watch it, fine. But this book has so like so much of it is in the details and the thoughts and yeah. the miscommunications which are not in the adaptation so it, it feels very shallow and it feels very flat and surface level to me and I think one of the reasons that Austin adaptations are so easy uh to to write basically is that Austin is to a certain extent in terms of humor and like outlining the plot surface level it's in the dialogue it's in the actions it's in the timing mm-hmm. of people walking into the room like mm-hmm. austin would be writing great television like right you know but so much of gaskell's stuff is subtext that when you put it onto the screen like with wives and daughters you lose it so you get all of these funny lines you get michael gammon saying like i never said an engagement was an elephant great but so much of the other stuff is gone Yes. So did I hate I... it? No. Did I hate Molly? Yes. Would I watch it again? Probably not. Would I read the book again? Yes. I just, for me, it didn't work. I just wow. never want to watch it. Thanks. Well, I have a slightly differing view. Is I actually think Gaskell translates very well to the screen, which I find surprising because of everything you just said. So um, I think North and South obviously is a very successful adaptation. Um, I think Cranford is an amazing adaptation. Yeah, that's true. I haven't seen Cranford. It's It really pops off the screen. And maybe I feel like Cranford maybe is a little bit more dialogue and character heavy. So I retract my statement. I don't think this book, I don't think this book works in that adaptation. I think there's a lot that's lost in Wives and Daughters, um, the adaptation, because of everything that you just said. There's all of these sort of nuances that are, that are gone just yeah because like because she's just such a subtle writer and it's very hard because these characters really play in those shades of gray um, especially Cynthia so I didn't think Cynthia was a really good um I don't think she she transferred very well to be honest and maybe that's because I'm not like a huge fan of that actress she was that could be my own bias that could be my own bias Uh, yeah she was fine she's all right but um yeah I actually I'm surprised, yeah. at, honestly, overall with how well Gaskell tends to work on screen. And that it maybe is because she does have such strong lines of dialogue and she's really good with. Um, but like this didn't work. This is not a good adaptation. <laughs> you're the only one this that is broken. That. It's broken. It's not good enough. They've let you all down and you're all just like lapping it up, sheeple. <laughs> I think it's. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I really, I just, yeah. I feel like it's a solid like I feel pretty good about it's it. It's a C plus. I'm it's not like they turned I'm, up. I'm not plus. loving it, but um, I do really think um, Michael Gambon is on point. I think yeah. that Tom Hollander is on point as per usual. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. Parents aren't hot enough. Why isn't Doctor Gibson hot? And also like such even, a shallow like, review, <laughs> Mr. Preston. Right, intriguing bad lad intriguing there's Intrig- so much oh, going on there. also not Mr. in the adaptation miscast ian glenn is like not the guy for that because i in my head mr preston was definitely played by an actor like um like tom hiddleston just like a little too smooth like a yeah, little well, too like snaky like like 
Yeah, really? like I, I was like, no, this Ian Glenn is not the man. He's too um, stern, and like, but yes. that's that's one of the scary things with Mr. Preston, right? Is that he's he's oozing his way through society, and he's giving mm-hmm. face in all of these moments, and then he's got this hard edge that really only Molly and Cynthia see, and a right, lot of people right. suspect it's there, but it's it's like hidden and it's like sharp and it just comes out really suddenly and you with Ian Glenn it's just like hi I'm grumpy I love Ian Glenn though I was really yeah, happy I think he's it, a great but... actor it's just it's not the right role yeah but um yeah oh, I mean I'm, I'm sorry yeah everyone loves it except for you but just you know I don't, before <laughs> well, I take back we... I take back the Gaskell adaptation comment I just didn't like this one <laughs> just that's fine case i don't want to get misquoted remember that time people said i hate valette it's just complicated (laughs) i'm defensive (laughs) you should watch cranford it's delightful Uh, yeah Um, i would like to i will never watch this again just one more Um, time i will never watch this again (laughs) you should uh give away your dvd to one of our it's my stepmoms i'm gonna give it back oh (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be like i want this Um, should we talk about the ending real quick on that adaptation? So, um, by the way, this was written by all y'all's favorite Andrew Davies, who did the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, and he's and done is doing Sanditon so much. Yeah, he's doing Sanditon. A- Andrew Davies has done all of the period dramas. It feels like. Um, I felt like the the ending was fine. <laughs> Lame. well first of all i was concerned with how much rain so okay so we have up until that point where like molly sees roger she's looking out the window she waves him off he waves her off and then she goes wait a minute and she does like the rom-com thing right where she decides to run out in the rain and just go after him just airport style i'm gonna chase you down and um it is just like really chucking down. Like it is raining so hard. It's aggressive. I got caught in rain like that this week. And like no man, no man. Yeah, like I I went to a restaurant at lunchtime, but no man's getting me out in that weather. You know, I mean, I'd go for a hot bowl of food, but. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm just too old too. I'd just be like, oh God, it's just, I'm not feeling it's too very wet. romantical. It's too wet. <laughs> it's too wet. I can't. That's, I'd like, be like tapping they on can... the window. Roger, it's too wet, mate. What, it's too wet. What do you want? <laughs> and then after that proposal, declaration of love scene, we cut to another ending, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings style. And <laughs> I don't know what version of Lord of the Rings you've been watching. Well, that <laughs> that last Lord of the Ring movie, it just keeps going. It just keeps ending. And you're like, where is the end? Because I was ready to turn off Wives and Daughters. I was like, all right, yep, running through the rain. I love you. I love you too. And then I was like, oh, no, we got another ending for you. And Roger and Molly are in the sand dunes. And she is wearing pants. What is that? they are traveling and exploring together. (laughs) Well, you know, who knows? Is that all right? I just, I've in, okay, Tarzan. Yeah, give it to me. What do you think? Jane in Tarzan. She Mm -hmm. wears a dress. That's my thoughts. Wow. <laughs> That's the beginning and end of that. Let's talk about the characters. Um, so we um, uh, have some comments about the squire. So Lisa mm-hmm. said, I love the squire. And then included this quote. 
I'm not saying she was silly last time we met, but one of us was silly and it wasn't me. So moving on to Mr. and Mrs. G, um, Rachel said, to me, the most powerful scene in the book is the scene between Mr. and Mrs. Gibson after Cynthia's engagement to Roger when he finally realizes how incapable she is of any moral understanding at all. He says, well, I suppose as one bruise, one must bake. This line shows his complete disillusionment and acceptance of the consequences of his marriage. Uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the point, too, I was making with that other scene um, where she's like, yeah, I wish I, I was young yeah. today so I could get married and have lots of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I I loved this scene. Like uh, yeah. Rachel saying it's one of the most powerful scenes in the in the book is like, yeah, it's fire like just reading that and he yeah. is like like the she can't like she can't spar with him she can't compete and he's no. like catching her and she's like she's trying everything and nothing's working and he's like finally like the mask has been ripped off and then consequently the way he is with Cynthia and just like it really colors the rest of the book from here on out and like I don't mm -hmm. know if anyone knows like so many times he says I do not discuss patience at home he says it multiple times yeah. after this conversation like this is this is an event that yeah. has like shaken him to his core and he's like he's reconsidering like how he operates professionally uh his marriage his relationship with his stepdaughter his relationship mm -hmm. to his actual daughter like all of these plans that he put in place and this is the situation that he has made like this is his fault yeah this is a cautionary tale yeah cynthia love cynthia so many comments about cynthia i know i was just like oh i feel like this is going to be a Big Cynthia discussion. Um, so Trudy said, uh, Cynthia's character reminds me that the boy magnet girls, the ones who get all the attention, the ones we want to hate, have issues too. They may need that attention because of issues at home you don't know about. You can't hate Cynthia. She's not being malevolent. She needs attention because she was never loved by her own mother. I admire Molly's sisterly protectiveness and patience with Cynthia. These two could have been catfighting in the entire time if their personalities were different. And damn Gaskell for always making you feel a pang of sympathy for all her villains. Mr. Preston did seem to be in love with Cynthia. You can't really blame him for falling under the same spell, uh, the same Cynthia spell that Roger fell under. So I yeah. think that hits a lot of points. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. you can't hate Mr. Preston. It's she has this effect on people um she does have a lot of stuff going on at home molly is very yes. protective of her um so rachel said i'll stick my neck out and say that i'm still after many years very fond of cynthia maybe it's my background as a therapist but i love her self-awareness she knows her weaknesses her defenses like her sassiness with her mother and much of what is behind them mr gibson calls her faulty and fascinating with his talk in roger which is a good description Mm hmm. I yes, I like that she's self-aware, but, but then I, what I don't like is that she doesn't act on. Yes. And refuses to grow and refuses to grow because the things that she has to do. They're not severely difficult things. Right. And it is hard for Mr. Preston to move on because he's hearing it from Molly. Right. He's not hearing it from Cynthia. Mm -hmm. It's like if Cynthia was like, listen, this is not happening. Here is your money. Like, goodbye. That would be good for him to move on. That would be good for her to show some growth. But it doesn't happen. She's still stuck. So that is my big problem with Cynthia. I, I don't think, she's think a... at any point you get growth from Cynthia. I think no. she I think she gets 
she's the cat who got the cream she's very smart like you know at the end she gets mm-hmm. what she wanted with and it works out really without her having to put up with a lot mm-hmm. i like this bit of writing from gaskell though like i think that's very interesting to have a self-aware villain who you, you really feel for um and i put villain in air quotes too yeah. by the way but um <laughs> you guys couldn't see it but like but just cannot move on um and it's very because it was very triggering for me because I had a, a Cynthia definitely in my life who like wanted me to because they always find a Molly, right? They always find mm-hmm. someone to do their dirty work for them. And that's the part where they actively become a villain, where they start manipulating others so that they do not have to appear to be the bad guy. Esther said, in defense of Cynthia's affection for Molly, dropping London to nurse her and not bothering to consult Mrs. Gibson was a baller move. I agree. Yeah, I was like, OK. This is and this is why you can keep coming back to a character like Mm -hmm. Cynthia. Like, okay, she does genuinely care about Molly and she is genuinely self-aware and she understands her faults. It's just like that part where she can't act on it. That really frustrates me. Going back to what I said earlier as well about getting all of these moments where we get uh, Cynthia described by Molly. Um, we've got this quote, which um, I loved and highlighted. And I think someone else put it in the discussion. If Molly had not been so entirely loyal to her friends, she might have thought this constant brilliancy a little tiresome and brought into everyday life. It was not the sunshiny rest of a placid lake. It was rather the glitter of pieces of a broken mirror, which confuses and bewilders. Great quote. And this is also one that makes me think that like, that makes me go back to Gaskell saying that Marianne is Molly and Cynthia as a whole, Mm -hmm. because that is a very Cynthia thing. Right. Like Molly is also not recognizing her feelings because she's like, listen, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to be loyal. Right. I'm not going to actually recognize what's going on and confront it. But I would like I would love just a line back from Cynthia. And like I was thinking today about what those lines might look like. And I I think there, there would be moments where it's like Cynthia had little patience for Molly, because when you want something like you you kind of have to go and get it. And if she's not going to do it, it's not going to get given to her. Right. And getting like that coming back both ways would be great. Like Mm -hmm. I would love that. I would love more from Cynthia's point of view because we get a lot of Molly's judgment on Cynthia, but like that, yeah, there's lots of ways in which Molly could be judged. Yes. So it's not like, this isn't like an even fight. It's very easy to criticize Cynthia because we're given, we're given the ammunition to do it. All right, so this uh, this read-along's done. Guys, it's over. The next read-along that we are going to do that's going to be a long-form read-along is going to be Mansfield Park, which was intentional because we're getting all the Mansfield Park feels from this book. Um, Rosalind actually in the comments said, not to throw shade at Jane Austen, but Mansfield Park parallels uh, became extremely clear to me in the final section, and I liked it so much better. Um, Cynthia, who admitted that she dreaded Roger's goodness and needed space to be herself with a dash of naughtiness, got her happy ending. But more importantly, she and Molly weren't unable to love each other just because they were so different. It really resisted the whole Madonna whore thing. And to me, it was more than anything uh, a, plat- a platonic love story between two girls. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, definitely. that is absolutely, yeah, fair assessment of this book. It does, Gaskell really steers away from that Madonna whore thing. This is why we read uh, women's writing, guys. Although, 
I don't know hmm. that the Madonna like there's a lot of effort made to cast off the whore thing but I yeah mm-hmm. like it's, you were saying like I don't know if it was as successful with Molly not being yeah. the Madonna like it's kind it's of like true. Cynthia's complicated Molly Molly is steadfast and loyal and avoiding any unpleasantness yeah but before we leave Gaskell completely we've got some like insane news it it's really exciting yes i um i can't believe this happened so quickly in less than 24 hours <laughs> yeah so um as we said on the show last week we were raising money to purchase an 1880 copy of tenant of wildfell hall for gaskell's house um we posted the gofundme and like immediately got the money we we thought it was going to take longer yeah if you if you missed your chance to donate or help out and it's something that you would be interested in doing in the future like we will be doing this again um i mean gaskell's house they have an entire library to fill so that's an option yeah. but just we're so keen to like use this community to actively support like the literary homes and museums and and scholars who are like keeping these works going and that's yeah absolutely you know like there isn't a ton of funding out there so anything that we can do and if you've got ideas let us know um Mm -hmm. and then we'll share our ideas with you yeah absolutely thank you guys i'm just gonna read out the names real quick because you guys are amazing uh amanda you donated 40 dollars, which was super generous and i'm just like amanda if you want us to talk about something on the show just like let us know send me a message um jordy naomi mary jane colleen philippe kirabelle eleanor allison catherine Thank you guys so, so much. So next week on the show, we are going to be talking about love and friendship. It has a lot of uh, parallels or sort of a vibe. Claire fi- vibes. Claire vibes. Claire vibes. So we're going to discuss that a little bit um, as well as talk a little bit about Jane Austen. Haven't talked about her for a bit. Yeah, my so, I know, right? Um, and the juvenilia, a return to the juvenilia, finally, two years later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that one is not freely available on a streaming service. So that's why we did not do sort of like a live watch along event. But if you guys have it or if you want to rent it, I think it's like $2.99 on Amazon. Go for it. We're going to post a thread in our Facebook group and you can comment there. And Hannah... What is that Facebook group called if they're not in there? That's the wrong order. I can't do it like that. You know, I've got my smooth oh. lead in. I've got oh, my, no. I can do it. Don't, don't worry, guys. You can find us, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. And yes, Lauren, you can find us on Facebook by searching bonnets at dawn and asking two very brief answering two very brief little questions which just prove that uh, you're not a robot and that you're safe to let in basically Mm -hmm.